G'day everybody, it is episode 8 of the Motor Focus Model Podcast. Aaron Noonan and Dimitri Camino with you as we talk model cars and trucks of all sorts. Uh, Dim, welcome back to the podcast. We've had amazing response from our last episode with Will Hall from Authentic Collectibles, but I'm looking at you down the Zoom call, you are looking more tanned than normal for a Queenslander. Bit of time in the Tansville sun's been very nice. Yeah, g'day Noons and, and g'day to our listeners. Uh, it's been a, a pretty cool two weeks. Got to uh, head up to Townsville for the first weekend and uh, I came back and left uh, some staff up there for the second one. So uh, it was great, had a great time. A little bit windy the first weekend, but you know, it was all right. Good to meet a few customers up there and um, one, one particular shout out I want to do is to Dwayne Gatsby who who does a lot of Code 3 uh, models and I encourage him to start a, a page so people can contact him. So it's called Big D's Custom Models. So look him up on Facebook, lovely bloke and does some pretty cool stuff and can pretty much make any supercar livery you want. So that adds to our other recommendations in the past of DC Customs and GR Diecast Custom Creations. So it's a whole new world out there for people. Yeah, we're, uh, there's always possibilities in model cars, that's for sure. So uh, great to know that those possibilities exist. Uh, great racing in Townsville. Probably the first weekend was a little bit quieter and then the last race on the weekend did spice up because the rivalry between uh, the Shell V Power Racing Team and the Red Bull Holden Racing Team, it's, it's been simmering and it's just flared up a little bit with a few barbs there between McLaughlin and, and Van Gisbergen. But what were the fans in Townsville buying? What was the big popular thing over the last couple of weekends? Oh, look, it's probably the same as every round we do. It's, it's surreal across the board uh, range that we sell. Like, obviously, supercars are our biggest sellers up there. Um, but, you know, Scotty McLaughlin's always popular. We, you know, wind cups models are definitely grown in stature. You know, we, we're getting more people buying them off the shelves now. So he's, uh, he's probably getting a little bit more credit from the model collectors than he has in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, they always tend to really struggle with people who win lots and then come later on when they're not winning as much or when they're towards the end of their career, uh, things change. Remember that Nissan GDR? Everyone hated it at the time, but now everyone celebrates it. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And it was great that... Uh, Fans were able to enjoy the racing in Townsville and, and retailers such as yourself and the Motor Focus team were, were able to be there. We could see your stall. We could see your tent on the TV uh, on that run out of that second last corner just about every time they followed the cast through there. So I was, I was surprised you weren't running around in the background with a little, little sign up against the fence or something to get a bit more branding out there. Yeah, well, we put two tents up to, to try and give us a bit more uh, aerial sort of exposure. But, um, it was good. The second weekend, I was, I was sitting at home watching and uh, I could keep an eye on the, on the guys there and make sure they were doing their job. It was great. It's one way to spy on the staff. Hey, let's bowl into it. Uh, great response to our last episode with Will Hall, the head of Authentic Collectibles, who gave us a great insight into where they're at with the Mustang, Supercar and, and a, a bunch of other um, explanations of his experience in, in the industry. It was great. And we've had awesome feedback. So if anyone's got any suggestions on upcoming guests for later in the year, uh, by all means, send them in. But uh, on the just arrived list, Dim, if you're a Bathurst collector and you love your Larry Perkins stuff, good news, the 1993 winner's been released in 143rd scale. 
Yeah, correct. We we just received the 143rd scale uh, 93 winner. So this one's uh, never been done before. So collectors have really been hanging out to fill that uh, slot in their, in their uh, collection. So uh, done by Ace Models, uh, really nice little model actually, and well packaged, only 500 made. Uh, with a retail of $120, so less less your discount when you join our free collector club. Of course, 5% discount for the Motor Focus Collectors Club. You can join up via the Motor Focus website, motorfocus.com.au. Uh, you've also not just been proven lately to be a model car seller of model cars, but uh, books as well, and there's a new one if you're a Holden fan as well. Yes, we've got this. Terrific book that's just arrived, uh, Racing the Lion, Illustrated History of Holden in Australian Motorsport. And, and I know you can tell our listeners all about it, mate, because I think you had something to do with it. I might have had a little bit to do with it along the way. Uh, awesome response. Uh, it's an illustrated history, as you said, of, of Holden in Aussie Motorsport. It's 400 pages. It's um, basically trying to touch across Holden's full racing history from the, the humpy Holdens of uh, the late you know, 40s when they fired up to uh, in the 50s onwards. And, yeah, a bit of everything along the way, whether it's it's rallying production cars, touring cars, Bathurst. We've tried to uh, scrape our way through the photo file and find some gems that have never been published before or haven't been seen for a long time. So I think there's something for everyone if you're a Holden fan in there. And there's some pretty chunky captions in there to keep you entertained for a while. So you can order your copy through motorfocus.com.au and uh, keep them keep them selling because then I can keep eating, which is a really good thing because I like to eat. Hey, uh, pre-ordering, we talk about it all the time, Dim. It's really important for, uh, particularly from a model car point of view, if you don't pre-order them, they don't make enough and you don't get to buy them. So uh, classic collectibles, we've talked trucks a little bit on the Motor Focus Model podcast in recent times, but um, if you love your Kenworths, there's some good news there too. Yeah, correct. So the pre-order side of things are pretty quiet the last couple of weeks, so not much to tell people about. But the uh, Classic Collectibles have been doing a great little truck range in 150 scale. So, sorry, 164th. Uh, so Kenworth, I'd say Red North Transport Road Train Tanker. And as they always do, you can buy the extra uh, trailer to make it uh, a, a bigger road train again. So something to check out for the truck guys it's always something for the truck guys and uh on the weekend in townsville we saw a, a result with shane van gisbergen on the first race on sunday that uh was a milestone race 200 race wins now for triple eight race engineering the first team in the history of the supercars championship and prior to that the australian touring car championship to win 200 races and uh customers and fans of triple eight i know there's a lot of them out there who are model car collectors uh well, it's one thing to have the cars, but you can have the print for the wall as well, which celebrates those 200 wins featuring each of the cars that have won those 200 races, which, again, I must admit, it's a little project I might have had a little bit of involvement in with Triple Eight, but you can pre-order through Motor Focus now. Um, finding that having more than model cars, books and prints and, and other things um, is really working for, for Motor Focus. And, it, I mean, it works for us in the, the things that we're doing. We're loving having more wholesalers involved in these projects, but I think it helps complete collections. We talk about um, fans of model cars having the, the little trophies or the little winning posters. Um, to have the big print of all of the cars that have done the winning is something to put with the model cars in the cabinet too. Yeah, I, I love this side of the business as well. 
um, you know, we've all got man caves and, and, and the bars and all that sort of stuff. So adding something, you know, special around your collection is, is always cool. So, you know, by us having these other products, uh, is, it's certainly not the one-stop shop, but, you know, people can get a little bit of variety in, in, in uh, their collection. This print is a metre wide. It's uh, going to be signed by Jamie Winkup, Craig Lowndes and Shane Van Gisbergen. And the reason being is obviously all three of those drivers, at least one of them has been involved in each of those 200 wins from the first one at Eastern Creek in 2005 with Craig Lowndes right through to Shane, obviously, on the weekend in Townsville. So hence why it's those three who are signing. It's official Triple Eight memorabilia. Uh, it's a limited collection edition. Uh, It'll be the final number will be determined by a pre-order, but of course it won't be in the thousands or anything like that. So it will be a, a piece like the Lounge 200 rounds with Triple Eight piece last year that will be very popular, and, and we won't do millions of them. So there will be a um, a select number. So jump on the Motor Focus website and pre-order yours. It'll be delivered in upcoming months. Of course, bit of uh, bit of time to get it signed, printed, delivered. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of delay stuff going on in the the world we live in. So we all need to be a little bit more patient. Hey, um, coming up, secondhand segment uh, on this edition. We've given it a little holiday recently, but I reckon you've come up with a, a ripping topic, and it is valuable V8 supercars that aren't Bathurst winners or championship winners. And there's some doozies in the list. We'll get to that pretty soon. But uh, let's cover off Q&A because we also always get a lot of messages for the Motor Focus model podcast. Uh, uh, Adam has the new ball, so you better uh, face up here and uh, take guard. Uh, he's off to a good start here. Great podcast, guys. Oh, yeah, here we go. We like it when they start with this on their questions. Smart boy. Yeah, smart. Uh, Adam asks, is there any chance of doing one eighteenth scale police car Commodores, VL, VK, VF? Yeah, I, I think there is a very good chance that it's going to happen. Um, the... The obvious one would be the VF because Biandia produced a VF SS Commodore. So a little bit of extra tooling here and there with lights and things inside the car and and kind of away they go. So that is on their radar. But I think you're going to find in the, in the future, we're going to see more police cars in older shaped Commodores as well. I guess that there's always a a look to expand um, tooling and to, to find other uses for it. Um, takes me back to the days actually of when, I don't know if you remember this, but the off-street drag racing at Calder in, I think it was in the 90s, maybe the late 80s, where, where the police actually entered a police car to compete against in off-street drag racing against all the, the young ruffians with their, their various hot-rodded and souped-up drag cars as a bit of a, a community exercise. And it was a really big hit. So I wonder yeah. if we could do a police drag car well it's been uh i've seen a few of them sort of things over the years i I recall oh many many moons ago i went to some drags at uh surface paradise at the old raceway before they ripped it up and uh there was a there was a cop car sort of done up as a drag car and it was their way of sort of i guess uh you know engaging with the people they normally chase on the street so (laughs) yeah just chase them down a drag strip and try to beat them yeah (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, even what is it? There was a VK Group A that had the police signage on it. It's been a couple of police car race cars over the years. I saw this discussed on the weekend. Um, uh, John Faulkner 
had a police V8 supercar at Winton in, in 1999. Um, Lester Smurden was a highway patrolman and he had police um, signage on his car at Bathurst over the years and, and various touring cars. He's probably the, the Group A touring car that you're thinking of. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and remember that Jonathan Webb, the Techno Commodore, had a, for the pre-season test, I think it was 2013, when they, they rolled out the new Car of the Futures, um, it was a police-style livery uh, on the white Commodore uh, in regards to the, the speed limits in uh, Sydney, I think it was at the time. So I'm not sure if anyone's code 3'd one of those or if they were made as a, a model, but it's something that, yeah, there's, there's probably a few police cars of interest over the years to... Um, to go back through. So Adam, um, probably a fair chance by the sound of things. Uh, Luke's question loves the podcast. I've always wondered when you get a signed certificate with a model, for example, Dick Johnson, as an example, uh, does the driver get paid for signing them? And if so, how much? Ooh, that's, that's a very in-depth question there. I'm not sure we can go fully to the last part of the answer there, but um, uh, in basic terms, Dim, yes, they do. But I guess there's a lot of different deals between, different drivers and teams and, and model manufacturers as well. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. The, the answer is yes, but how much they get paid and how they get paid is it, it, it varies so much. So, you know, in the early days, they were probably getting paid per signature sort of thing. But, uh, but again, it's just the more popular the driver, the more he's probably going to get out of the deal. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I, I couldn't get a definitive answer out of uh, someone like Richard Poole, but he did give me the, the rundown that it, it does vary and there's many different deals. So, But the good news is um, they're, they're getting some sort of royalty out of it. Star power is obviously a big thing. The bigger star you are, the, the more you can command. It's basic uh, market economics 101, I, I suppose. But obviously, uh, from, from the inside knowledge I've got of some of these model businesses and discussions with all of those people, um, because the quantities aren't as big as they used to be, some of those checks obviously uh, won't be as big as they perhaps once were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Simon's question, I'm not sure if he's stitching you here, but two-part question. There's a few of these two-parters, by the way. Uh, he says, do you care to ask Dim about his successful dirt karting days and the carts he ran in the early 2000s? Now, is he taking the mickey here about how well or you did or didn't go? Uh, fill me in some more on your dirt track racing career. <laughs> yeah, well, Simon's um, digging up a bit of the past here, so uh, which is nice of him. Uh, yeah, we, we did run dirt carts out sort of west of Brisbane, and they're a proper circuit, but it was dirt. So run, run a slick tyre, and the dirt would just pack down like concrete during the day. So... Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was great fun, cheap racing, and uh, I did okay. So I'm glad he didn't ask about the uh, the early 2000 indie trips we used to do at, at the Gold Coast. So uh, maybe uh, maybe he might do that in a previous uh, sorry uh, in a future show. It, is but that a, a is that a sealed section podcast that comes? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, does this podcast have a rating like? Uh, probably not a high enough one to cover off anything from the early 2000s at the Gold Coast Indy. No, they were the, the glory days and who can forget the, the helicopter with the, the signage hanging out of it with the request? Uh, I think there were some defence personnel who got in big trouble for putting that yeah. sign to the side of that helicopter as well. For those who don't know what we're talking about, the days of the Gold Coast Indy race um, in the, well, I guess the mid to late 90s and the early 2000s, um, 
was a haven for chiropractors because so many people were looking up to the balconies and craning their necks constantly because there were things to look at of various descriptions. Uh, and a lot of people had kink necks after three or four days at the track. So yeah, uh, I think that's probably where we'll, we might leave that one. Yeah. Leave it there. And um, I think everyone can imagine how good it was there. <laughs> um, second part of Simon's question, is there a Mercedes model made from the earlier Erebus days in supercars? And I think the answer is yes, there was a few, wasn't there? Certainly was. Uh, Bianchi made some beautiful models of, of the Mercs and um, uh, many different liveries, the SB Tools, Irwin, HHA, Bico, Wendy's. There was a couple of Penrite liveries as well. So it did take him a while to get them out um, due to you know making the new molds and all that sort of th- sort of jazz that they've all spoken about in the past, but the the probably the most popular ones would be the black Penrite livery, and uh, there's a there's a lovely sort of retro white Penrite livery as well. Uh, we do actually have some stock of the 143rds still available, um, and we've got them on special on our website. So you just click on the specials section and you can sort of see some in there. There's some for like 30 bucks and some for $40. So great opportunity to get a Mercedes in your collection before they're all gone as well. No, we love a deal. We love a special. We love a bargain. Good stuff. Nice. Uh, Those Penrite cars, the retro liveries that they did with Will Davison, the white one at Sydney for the end of the, um, the Merc era, because they swapped to the Commodores for 2016. So that one is a, is an interesting one that people like to collect and the black Penrite one, which I think Will and Alex Davison drove at Bathurst, if my memory serves me correct. That's the, that's the one to get of all of those, those Erebus Mercs. Um, Gary's question, or Gary's a two-parter question kind of a guy as are most of our questions on the podcast this week. First one, is a classic collectible still producing this year's Red Bull Commodores? He notices that they've disappeared from their future releases section on their website. Yeah, I look, I gave a call to Classics just to double check. And yeah, they're certainly getting done and they're down for a fourth quarter release. Okay. Uh, second part of the question. Uh, he only just caught up with our episode uh, with Richard Paul from Bianti, which if you haven't heard, go back through our little catalogue of uh, Motor Focus Model podcast. It was episode four. Um, but the question he would have loved to have asked if he had got there in time. Uh, he says the 2001 Bathurst winner, so that's the Mark Scaife, Tony Longhurst, HRT V X Commodore, uh, was only produced in a four-car set. Does Bianti have plans to release this model on its own? Well, Gary's very correct there. They, they did only do it in a four-car set uh, to get your Bathurst winner. So Auto Art made them back then, and um, the, unfortunately, Auto Art aren't making any 143rd these days is just a, a cost versus minimum water quantity scenario. But the good news is uh, Bianchi slash Apex have some tooling of that sort of era around the 90, uh, sorry, late 90s, early 2000s. So they're probably looking by what I could read uh, to go back and do some of those cars because they've never done them before. They have been done by Classic Collectibles, uh, some of the other early winners there. Uh, in the black window sort of low detail stuff. So look for some announcements hopefully in the next six to 12 months and you'll be able to pick up that model down the track. Okay, sounds good. Russell Smith next up. Uh, Great start. Hi guys, love the podcast. I think people are tuning into this just a little bit. Um, 
his question ties in with the V8 Sleuth's upcoming podcast about super tourers. Well, I think when he wrote this, it was upcoming, but it's not upcoming anymore. It's actually online. We did a podcast covering the history of um, super tourers in Australia on the V8 Sleuth podcast. If you haven't heard it, jump on our website or on, on socials to or wherever you listen to podcasts to listen. But he said that he sat in the Bathurst 1000 winning Volvo of Jim Richards' Ricard Rydell as a kid and would love a 118th version of it. He says that he's seen that uh, BMWs and Audis have been produced, but he can't seem to find a 118th Volvo S40. Do you think it's something they could do, as I'm sure there's others who would uh, love it as part of their collection, which any Bathurst winner is um, special because it's got the tag of a, a Bathurst winner. From my memory, I've got, I think here at work somewhere, a 143rd, but I don't think they've done a 118th. Is that right? Correct. Uh, the 43rd scale was done many years ago, but yeah, the 118th never been done. Look, we're going to have to wait for probably a European brand to do that mold of the car. I it just can't see, uh, it getting done specifically, specifically for the Australian market, uh, being generally one major car they could do. So yeah, if we can see someone like, you know, mini champs spark, you know, produce a mould, then Bianchi will be straight onto it and um, getting it done. So it, it does offer the opportunity for a resin model to be done, uh, as we've discussed in, in previous podcasts and a la the, the Bluebird Group C car. So, but nothing in the pipeline at this stage. Russell, you'll just have to live with that memory of being able to sit in the real one, and that's <laughs> really cool. I think they... One of the things we've often discussed is that manufacturers need to be able to, if they're going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, tooling, that they need to be able to make different versions of from that tooling. And when you've got a bespoke, I mean, you think about that car, left-hand drive, 1998 spec S40 Volvo. Um, if I'm a model manufacturer and I make that car for the Bathurst 1000 winner, that's a good reason to make it. But then I think of it and I go, well, you could make the Ricard Rydell championship winning British touring car car from that year. Jim Richards drove that car in Australia in 1999 in the championship. He didn't win the championship, but he won races and it had a different livery car number three. It had some other sponsors. Um, so, you, you know, there's plenty of Jim Richards fans out there in Australia that I'm sure would snap that up. But the problem that you've got is that the previous year's Volvo S40 that he raced was right-hand drive. It was a 97 spec car. So, that's a real headache. You, you know, it's very simple to think, oh, well, make the previous year's car from the same mould, but then you've got to modify it because it's right-hand drive, not left-hand drive. The arrow is a little bit different. Um, the base car underneath, shape-wise, is the same, but it adds a couple of extra headaches. Yeah, look, that, they're, they're the challenges, but I, I'm sort of envisaging William Hall riding down Volvo... <laughs> <laughs> uh, look into research. Where can I find one in Sweden to scan is probably yeah. what he's thinking right about now. Uh, Tim Downs, next question. Uh, awesome podcast. Uh, or says that the, the guys at Motor Focus, I'll spit it out right, uh, are always fantastic to deal with. He says, are Classic or Bianchi going to make an FJ Holden Ute in 118th or 112th? Also, will they make an FX Holden in a sedan? Yeah, it would be a very cool model, but nothing in the system. And when I quiz them, they're, they're, they're not looking at that at this point in time. So we, we just 
going to have to wait a little longer to hopefully hear something about an FJ Holden Ute. Um, as far as the FX Holden in the sedan, Bianti have released, uh, I think they've released three colours. So, and, you know, quite a few years ago now, but they're certainly out there. And I asked if uh, they were likely to make any more, but being an auto art mould, the the minimum order quantity is probably going to knock them out for what they think that the Australian market will consume. So may have to chase down a previous released one there for, uh, for a sedan. Okay. Uh, Jason Perry, next question. Uh, this is good. I like this. He's enjoying the podcast. Good start. In fact, it's reignited his model collecting. Look what we've done. We've got a collector who's been on the sidelines on the bench Back in the game, on the field. Um, wow. He's asked, are Bianchi going to retool the 118th scale VRVS supercar models at any stage before he invests in any of the older models? For example, uh, the 1996 Bathurst winner. Oh, look, I don't think they will retool that particular model because the one they've done is, uh, is a very good example and uh, with, with excellent quality, all opening parts. So... I can't see a requirement to retool. <clears throat> um, the 96 winner has been done by both Bianchi and Classic Collectibles. So I think the only way you're going to get that is you're going to have to hunt one down on the second-hand market. So um, no good news there on, on, on getting one at release. Oh, you're so miserable. I thought you were the bearer of good news today, Dim, bringing some of that Townsville sun to our, our listeners. Uh, all right, we've got a few more questions here. We might be able to make someone's day. Uh, Hayden asks, what do you reckon the future is of 164th scale Holden models as Holden's leaving supercars, less of a demand, increasing cost for manufacturing? Would they make previous cars or just phase out 164ths? Yeah, it's a really difficult one with uh, the 164th scale. Like Bianchi not long ago had to cancel a whole heap of production of cars. Just, they just weren't getting anywhere near the, the minimum order quantities. So it's not a content or a holding issue. It's just, you know, how are they going to sell enough to make, make the project worthwhile? So, um, you know, I don't know what the, the real good answer there is apart from um, <clears throat> pre-order where you can. We say it a lot and it's uh, very true. It's very true. Um, Travis is next up. In fact, he's last up. Um, couple of, oh, actually, he's got three. He's, he's gone hard here, but uh, first one. Yeah, no, that's right. If you're going to get in, get in properly. First one, can you give us some insight into how the rights to build the models are distributed, particularly in cases where both different companies, so Classics and Bianchi, for example, are able to build the same car? How does that all work? Which is it's probably a little bit complex, but what's in a nutshell, how could we describe that? Yeah, it is a very complex um question and answer and and I did put a call into Richard and I could hear him sort of gaining a headache as I as he started to answer because it is such a such a big part of his job and a very difficult one so as far as Ford goes what I make out that they have a global sort of branding company that gives approvals uh, where Holden is obviously more local at this point in time um, you know, a license doesn't really stop anyone else making it in the future. Uh, it just gives them approval to, to, to make it as a licensed product. 
uh, then you can get into the whole, do they need a licensing or not when it's over a certain age? So that's a whole other sort of can of worms. Um, even, even to the point where, yeah, like you said, we've got classic collectibles and Bianti both have produced HR holders. But uh, by what I understand, they can, they can even give approval to do a HR in this colour and this colour and this colour, but not those ones. So very grey areas at times and something that these guys have to put a lot of time and effort in to protect uh, the investments they're making into their moulds. So, yes, uh, there has to be licensing in a lot of cases, but it is such a minefield. And there's probably also an element of that of different scales because, for example, um, Red Bull HRT cars, the 118th scale version is made by Classic, but the 112th version you get from Bianti. So there's different deals across the different um, scales. So, And then, of course, there's how each company does its deals with whoever it needs to do its deals with, whether it's Holden or Ford and its license, uh, licensing companies, individual race teams, course they've all got different deals to put to people on the table whether it's um uh you know favorable payment terms or a bit more money up front or a bit more percentage of sales there's all those considerations that come into who goes with who and how they all marry off with one another and and do their deals uh second question this is a good one i like this one from travis how does the second-hand market feel about signed 118th scale models? He's got some of his supercars that have been signed by the drivers. He says, is it good or bad for resale? He doesn't want to sell them, but he's just interested in, in what the, the feeling is out there. Yeah, look, I think signed models, is, is, it's just a really a matter of choice. Uh, I personally love it and think it's great, but I've met plenty of collectors that, that uh, just scrub it off. You know, they, they don't like it at all. Uh, so, on a whole, I'm going to lean towards it. there's more that like it than don't, but probably only just. And uh, we, we often see people asking more for a Model 2 if it's got a signature, depending on who it is too. So, uh, maybe some, some advice to people is if they want to get their car signed, you can choose somewhere a little more subtle, like a back window, uh, rather than right across the bonnet. So... You know, on the roof is, a, is another good area to sort of make it a little less um, obvious. But, you know, you know that that legend has touched that model car and that's what I love. <laughs> uh, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, personally, uh, if I had a choice, I'd say no. Uh, I don't have anything against the people or the, the signature or I just... I like my model car to look how the car looked. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. I don't have anything against anyone who likes getting their model car signed. I think that's a, it's a great thing. But personally, I'd rather they just uh, um, uh, they stay how they are. I, I'm I'm fine with that. One of the best signatures I've ever seen on a model car was KB Channel Nine Camaro or Channel Six, uh, and someone had asked him to sign it underneath, <laughs> and. And it was at the expo and I saw him doing it and KB just sort of looked at him like, you cheeky bugger. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, pretty cool. I'm sure it wasn't the first time he'd been asked to sign a model Camaro uh, upside down. Uh, third question from Travis. He says he's never had a VE Commodore model of any type, but he knows that they chopped a, a bunch of um, room out of the supercar version of the VE Commodore to fit it in the Project Blueprint. Um, regulations of the category compared to the road car. So he said, well, 
is the 118th scale supercar shorter than the 118th road car? And reality is, if they've done their measurements right, it should be. Exactly. It, it should be. And, uh, and, it, and the way they do it is they generally get the CAD information, so it makes them super accurate. So when I asked Richard Poole this exact question to get an expert's opinion, he said, yeah, definitely. They, they are made to scale, so the, the doors on the supercar will be smaller than the, uh, the road version. I think Not they, by a lot. When you scale it down, it might be a couple yeah. of mil or so. I think, oh, I look, I can't remember the exact measurement off the top of my head, but it might have been, oh, yeah, I, how many centimetres it was that came out of that door line, I, I can't remember. But I think it was out of the, the front passenger door from, from memory. But, um, yeah, if it's 118th, it's 118th, regardless of whether it's the road-going version or the, the race car version. Um, thanks, everyone, for your questions. Keep them rolling in over the course of upcoming weeks, and we'll, we'll mow through them on the podcast. Um, we do the podcast every fortnight, so send them in, and if you don't hear your answer, we'll uh, do our best to get to it as soon as we can. Second-hand market, Dim. Um, I like this topic this week. This is one of your best ones. I like this. Uh, the 118th scale V8 supercar models that have become valuable but are not Bathurst winners or championship winners. And there's some cool shit in this list. Let me tell you, apologies for the little swearing, but it excites me, this one. Um, no particular order. We'll, we won't run through it in a dearest or most expensive to least expensive. We'll just go in a, a general order. Um, I think everybody forgets that Russell Ingle drove for Ford Performance Racing. He did. And uh, now the... Uh the first car on my list is when Cam Waters and Russell Engel drove the FGX Falcon uh, at the Gold Coast, and it was the 2015 race, and it was a 30th anniversary of Back to the Future uh, right. being being released at the movies. So, uh, oh, that's the year Chaz uh, broke his leg and all that at Bathurst. So it was supposed to be a, a Mostert Waters car, but it ended up being a Waters Russell Ingle car. So that's the, the, the Pepsi livery and it looks like the DeLorean and really cool model. Um, it was a team exclusive. So a lot of people didn't even know it existed, but you know, if you can find one these days, I'm thinking five to $600. Cool. For a, a one-off that uh, the enforcer made his one and only start with FPR. That's the year that he, um, went from no endurance drive in the and running Fox Sports commentary in the in the TV broadcast to suddenly filling in at HRT for James Courtney after that helicopter incident in Sydney, and then of course Chaz went and busted himself up at Bathurst. So uh, Russell landed himself in a, a chair for the Gold Coast because Courtney came back to HRT. So uh, very unique situation. Um, Craig Lowndes, Team Vodafone, two thousand and eight Darwin car, the Red Dust one off. Uh, livery, beautiful, beautiful looking cars that he and Jamie Winkup drove that weekend. Absolute one-off livery. They were never used any other time. Um, and they didn't make a truckload of them. So they, they pulled good numbers. Yeah, correct. Uh, so the way it r rolled out is um, we, we received an order form for the car and we put a, a number in. But Classics had already uh, committed to 1,500-piece run. So for some reason they couldn't change it and then they went back through and basically had to allocate to everyone so if you ordered 60 cars you got you might have got 42 or something like that so everyone was short on it when it arrived so 
that car instantly went through the roof. And, you know, these days, six, $700 is what you're going to pay for, for uh, one of Lounsey's um, red dust livery cars. You're going to need more than that if you want the Marcus Ambrose 2002 Pertec Stone Brothers AU Falcon. They made less of them and they're going for more. Yeah, look, I think this is a case of um, when they released Marcus Ambrose's AU in 2002, they made a 1,000 of them. You know, he probably was just starting to get going in his, you know, supercar career and... Um, and it's when he started winning championships, everyone wanted to go back and get that car. So, you know, it was it was a fifteen hundred dollar car back in back in the day, but I'd probably value it around the thousand dollar mark these days. Okay. Um Mark Winterbottom, when he joined Ford Performance Racing in two thousand and six, he got his his mojo going and he went won the Sandown five hundred later that year with Jason Bright in the cat car, but of course he drove the number five car, the white and blue livery. Um, FPR entry. The reason why that car is so... It's probably the most expensive car on this list that you've put together of these 10 um, because they made barely any of them and it was a breakout year for him. Yeah, 500 May, but I think the big catalyst for this car was the beautiful big GT on the on the side of the car, which was um, you know the same GT badge as such as they, they would have in the original... X, Y, X, W sort of cars. So just a cool livery and, again, only 500. And, you know, he became Ford's sort of golden boy. And, and again, people people had to go back and chase it down. And I've seen him go for, you know, up to $1,500. Wow. That's, uh, that's a good investment if you landed one of those back in the day. Now, Dick Johnson Racing fans, Dim, kind of cringe when we mentioned 2005 and the West Point era. It was a very short, sharp era. And, didn't go well that sponsor collapsed but because there weren't many of those cars made of Stephen Johnson and Glenn Seaton they're pulling some pretty good numbers yeah the, the West Point cars are worth good money the number 17 car of Steve Johnson only 600 made expect to pay about $800 the the teammate car car 18 of uh, Glenn Seaton 750 made and it's about $600 and, and I just think that you know these cars were we're out when the team wasn't doing so well. And now that they've got the success in the last few years, a lot of those cars, people want to go back and get, you know, car 17 pretty much of every era, uh, but also the, the Seaton car's quite valuable too. He goes all right, Cito. He goes all right. The year that followed for DJR, 2006, when they ran the first rock car and the V8 Telecom car with Will Davison, Sort of the same mould, really. People going back to fill their DJR collections from the era that's not the golden era of the team and lower runs. Although the 17 uh, Stephen Johnson first rock car, they made 1,100 of those still, but they're still holding value. I guess that's the power of 17 Johnson and Ford. Yeah, correct. You know, great-looking cars and the, the sort of orange and black. And, uh, yeah, car 17 featured the first rock down the side. Um about $600, I think, is a fair price. Car 18, which was Will Davidson's first year, I believe, uh, it had the V8 Telecom down the side and about $500. Another cool thing about these models, they also had a couple of characters on the roof. One was, uh, was it Muttley? Wacky and the other one, yeah, yeah, a couple of wacky races on the roof. So that was a, a nice little touch on those cars as well. Uh, Dick Dastardly uh, got a run there, I think, on those cars as well that year. 
A um, couple more to finish off in our uh, top 10 of 118th scale supercars that have since become valuable but have not won Bathurst or the championship. Uh, this next one, probably more so because of a massive shunt than anything else, uh, Fabian Coulthard and Craig Baird, although Baird didn't get a drive in it, uh, the Bundaberg Red Racing Commodore from Bathurst 2010 that went barrel rolling through the chase on the first lap when the left rear tyre went bang, uh, didn't make many, didn't make any in the uh, finished state of how that car ended up, uh, but good value if you can find one. Yeah, and what a what a spectacular rollover it was, and to see Fabian sort of climb out in the dust and and uh, just brush himself off was 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 amazing and and great to see. Uh, only two hundred and forty of these models made, and uh, whenever you see one, they are right up there in value, and uh, I think eight hundred bucks is gonna take it to get one of them in your cabinet. And I guess the reason why they made 240 is that the racing number of the car was 24. Is that, or is that coincidence? I think it might be a coincidence. I think it's a case of uh, people didn't pre-order it. (laughs) That old chestnut. And I remember back then we had very little interest for it, but once it come out and, you know, we love a good crash in Australia, don't we? (laughs) And, um, and, yeah, now it is just such a hard model to get hold of. Yeah, 240 is, is not many at all. Uh, last one on the list. There's a couple of honourable mentions that we'll cover off too, but Craig Lowndes' uh, VF Commodore, the, the 100 wins car to celebrate him being the first driver to win 100 championship races, uh, which happened in Darwin in 2015. Uh, this is the gold Red Bull livery celebration car. Um, anything lounge is going to be good and anything that celebrates um, a milestone is also uh, an important one. And even though they made a thousand of them, it's still pretty solid in the second-hand market. Yeah, this one really caught me by surprise on the second-hand market. Um, when it was released, I, you know, thought, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's, it's a nice sort of um, memento sort of car, if you call it that. But, um, you know, $500 these days is, is a fair price for one of them. But um, other ones that I just wanted to quickly mention, some that we've mentioned in previous podcasts, like Nick Perkat's Australian uh, Grand Prix car, Andrew Jones' Development Series cat car that we know that uh, uh, Kim Jones is, is uh, <laughs> sitting on thousands of them. <laughs> Uh, another one that I thought of after I did this list was Paul Dumbrell's FPR 2010 Olo Racing Car. Now, that one's like a $700 car. I don't really? know why. It was the year I think he, he, he finished up, but it was a great-looking car, so people have uh, been chasing that one down. And also, uh, I'm sort of seeing David Reynolds' <coughs> excuse me, earlier cars starting to sort of fetch three to $400 as well. So when drivers get a bit further into their careers, obviously David's now a, a Bathurst winner. He's one of the big stars of the category and, and, and well-known beyond the motor racing circle. So I guess that helps push values from the older stuff up and stuff like his earlier cars with the Stratco Commodore or the, the Bundy Red Commodore, or they wouldn't have been made in big number runs back then when he was a, a rookie and still coming up the ranks. So I guess it, it ties back to what you spoke about a while ago of Anton Di Pasquale being the guy that you see as the, the next big thing in terms of model collecting because he's um, on the upward rise. You know, if he becomes a Bathurst winner or a champion down the track, you go backwards to, to fill uh, the collection with the older cars. And of course the demand increases and, 
and the values go up. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, <clears throat> we like to see uh, someone come along and, and have success and, and uh, you know, when they start winning, they, they, their fan base grows and uh, way, way they go chasing the, the old models. Um, I think Cam Waters is one of those guys that he's right on the edge there and, you know, his monster cars will look sensational. So I think those ones too will, will uh, fetch good money in the future too. The only problem with the monster cars is they look the same every year. They don't do enough to tweak up the liveries, which I know corporately uh, Monster are very strict with their, their their corporate branding and, and what they want it to look and feel like. But Red Hot Chance with Will Davison co-driving at Bathurst this year. Yeah, so, um, potentially a, a Bathurst winner there. But there's, I mean, the other interesting thing is, and we've, we've finished up our, our second-hand market. Thanks again to everyone for your, your Q&A questions. We'll wrap it up shortly. But Bathurst on the horizon. So it's really funny, obviously, all there's the the fans who support their different drivers and teams. But I think what's equally as interesting is seeing the model car makers have kittens watching the race because, of course, with, say, Bianti, they've got their teams. Classic have got uh, Red Bull HRT primarily. Um, Authentic have got DJR Team Penske and Tickford. Uh, it's really funny to sit and watch these guys all stressing, uh, hoping that they get one of their cars to win the great race every year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure they've all got a bottle of uh, champagne there ready to go. <clears throat> and if they get the win, um, they they are cheering. Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing for um, the race team to win Bathurst, but it's also a big thing for whoever the model car company is that is connected to them because that obviously means a, uh, a good, decent, solid um, model that will, will generate a lot of interest and obviously clearly solid sales. So... Good luck to all the model car constructors for uh, about five weeks' time when the great race revs up on October the 18th. We've got a couple more uh, Motor Focus model podcasts between now and then, so we'll take a look at some Bathurst flavour in the lead-up over the next couple of weeks. Keep the questions rolling uh, through Motor Focus, through the, the social media accounts and through email. Uh, jump on the website, motorfocus.com.au. Become a Collectors Club member and receive a 5% discount. Of course, 10 bucks uh, nationwide shipping. Can't beat that. That is good stuff. So get your wallet out and save on shipping and buy lots of model cars. That's the, the simple way to go about it. Hey, Jim, thanks again, mate. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We are continuing to build this podcast every fortnight. Uh, eight episodes now in the books. For 10, do we get a cake? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My cake. Oh, yep, you've got me. I'm in, I'm in. I'll, um, I'll make sure that there's an order in for... Do we eat it while we do the episode or after we do it? Oh, I think we should do it while we're doing it so you know people can sort of in, enjoy our sort of mumbling words and you know, <laughs> chewing, chewing down the, the, the beautiful mud cake. Episode 10 is about <laughs> to get a little bit chocolatey, I guess you could say. Hey, thanks again, Dim. It's always a pleasure. The Motor Focus Model Podcast will chat to you soon. 